0: All right. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you thanking you for the privilege and the joy of being able to open up your word and and partake of the bread of life together. You know every man and woman in this room, and we all represent past, present, and futures. We all represent struggles and hopes and dreams and fears and doubts. We all have families that we care uh, greatly about. And each and every one of us in this room have personal needs that only you can fill. And so, Lord, my prayer is that tonight as we open up your word and study your truth, that you will feed our spirits and nourish our souls so that we might be a light for you. You know us. You know us inside and out. And we need you. Holy Spirit, we need you to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds and our lives to this truth. Help us to receive it and to believe it and trust it. Uh, Use it to confirm um, our faith, to convict us of our sins, and to convince us of you as our Lord and Savior. And so thank you. Thank you for this time together. Open our eyes that we might see. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 So we're going to turn to the book of Luke. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read the text for you. We're going to kind of go through it a little bit tonight and break down some of the text. And then I want to give you a brief synopsis or an overview of what we're going to be doing in this series. So in Luke chapter 24, um, uh, there's a passage there uh, known as the Road to Emmaus Passage. If any of y'all are familiar with this, if you remember what's happened here, um, Jesus... uh, <clears throat> was uh, arrested on 30, Thursday night. He was crucified on Friday. He was in the grave Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning. A Sunday morning he arose. And this uh, road to Emmaus passage takes place right after his resurrection. And so what, one of the things that you need to understand is that his followers were uh, in shock. They were in awe. Uh, They were sad. They were broken. They were scared. They thought that this was the Jesus that was coming to set them up as rulers and uh, kings and queens on the earth uh, to rule and to reign with Him as their Messiah. And uh, lo and behold, He died on a cross. He died a a fugitive's death. He died a a, a horrible death and they have not realized the ramifications of what has taken place. And so that's kind of what's going on here. And in this passage we're going to see today, um, as we look through it, we're going to see not only Jesus uh, take a walk with a couple of uh, dismayed disciples, but we're also going to see Him go into the upper room with His disciples and and basically um, open their eyes to the reality of what's going on. So, um, Luke chapter 24, verse 13, and we'll read from there. It says, And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles From Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all of these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began travelling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. And he said to them, uh, one of them said, uh, named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word and in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since this thing has happened. But also, some women among us amazed us when they were in the tomb early in the morning and they did not find his body. They came saying that he had also, they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it exactly as the women said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O you foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and with all of the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the Scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going further. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting towards evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined with them at the table, he took the bread and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got in that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with him, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road, how he had recognized them, uh, was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said, Peace be to you. But they were startled and they were frightened and thought that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I, I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you say, see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they, said they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and he ate it before them. Verse 44, Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled." Then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that the repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and I am sending you forth the promise of my Father upon you, uh, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So we're going to stop there. So first I want to go and talk just a minute about these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He was walking with them and it said they were kept from recognizing Him. They couldn't see Him. And we need to understand uh, um, a part of that had to do with the fact that our emotions affect the way we see things, doesn't it? Right? And they're saddened and they're disheartened and their world has been taken from them and they literally cannot see that the answer to... Everything that they could ever hope for. The eternal answer they needed was walking on the road with them. But look again back at that passage and what it says. uh, Let me find that verse. It said, um, uh, verse 16, But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. They were talking with each other about the things that had taken place. So they were discussing what had happened with Jesus on the cross about His death and His burial. And they had also apparently been talking about the fact that some of the women had said that they saw Him alive. Some, and, and so they're having this discussion and Jesus wants them to say, what are you talking about? And he does that often. And he and they tell, tell Him... Uh, now watch what they ask Him. Are you the only one in Jerusalem that don't know what's happened? Right, what now think about that. Because He is the only one in Jerusalem that does know what's happened. Ever thought about that? Think about that. He's rose from the dead. He's redeemed them. He has redeemed Israel. It is finished. The work is complete. And they're asking Him, don't you know what happened? And the reality is, He is the only one that does know what happened. And He said to them, what are these words? And they asked Him these things. And so, um, they related to Him what had happened, that He had been crucified by the the, uh, uh, people. He had been crucified by the priests and by the rulers. And they said, but we were hoping, we were hoping that he was the one that was going to redeem us. We, that he was going to save us. He was going to come and rescue us in the same way that Moses had res- rescued their great grandparents from, from Pharaoh. They thought that he was the one. And he was. But they couldn't realize it. And so it says next, it says... Um, he, he chides them in verse 25. And look what he says. He said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into His glory? So one of the first things we need to understand is this. The prophets had already e- expressed exactly what was going to happen. It had already been prophesied by men moved by the Spirit of God they had already he had already told them exactly what was going to happen. Now these Israelites, where would they have heard the prophets the in the scriptures all right They didn't have a, a nice King James Bible that didn't come along until 1611 all right but they had the, they had the Old Testament. they had the scriptures and he said to them in verse 27 uh, it said beginning with Moses all right who's Moses? He's the great prophet, right? And he was the one that came and rescued them out of Egypt. Let my people go. Of course, it was God that was doing the rescuing, but Moses was his mediator, was his spokesman. And so he started with Moses, and again, he's talking about the Scriptures. So if I, if I want to relate Moses and the Scriptures, what do I need to think of? Anybody want to help me with that? the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments? All right, I want to, I want to uh, I'll give you a hint. Um, what... what what is the the word the prefix penta anybody know that penta uh, what's a hexagon How? octagon has eight hexagon is six what is a pentagon five all right and so penta took the word took means books if i say penta took what am i saying five books all right the so first five books of five books so what Jesus is doing is He's going and He's using the first five books of the Bible to explain to them everything that's happened. That's crazy, and I it? was written like 2,000 years before this happened and He's going there to tell them what happened. Beginning with Moses and with all of the prophets. Who are the prophets? All of those that wrote the Scriptures. But who do you think of when you think of a prophet? Elijah, Elijah and Elisha, right? He's- Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Maganae, Habakkuk, right? All those guys. All right. Those are the prophets, and these are the people that were moved by the Spirit of God to write what God wanted them to write so that the people could know who God is, so they could know what was going to happen, so that they could be comforted. Now they can look back into the past and realize God always keeps his promises. He gave us his promises in the scripture, and he's kept those promises. And what is Jesus doing? He's not talking to them about their emotions and their feelings. He goes to the Scriptures. Beginning with Moses and the prophet, he began to explain them all these things concerning himself in the Scriptures. So what is he doing? He's pointing them to Moses and saying Moses was writing about who? Yeah. Him. Yeah. And that is very important for us to understand. Um, uh, especially a lot of times, as newborn Christians... As young Christians, as people young in the faith, um, generally we get a good understanding of for God so loved the world He gave His only begotten Son whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. A most important verse, John 3.16. But a lot of times our Christian knowledge is, is is basically centered on a few passages of Scripture. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me or uh, I have plans for you, plans not to harm you but to prosper you. We We get these little quick, Ideas of what the Bible says, and we really don't have an understanding of what the Bible really says. And most often, as new Christians, especially in the evangelical world we live in, the focus is on the New Testament. Matter of fact, a lot of evangelicals focus on the book of the Revelation, right? And the reality is, the book of the Revelation quotes the Old Testament more than any other book in the New Testament. And so people are already thinking about the second coming and Armageddon and Gog and Magog and all this the stuff. When in reality, it was already talked about in the Old Testament. And we, if we don't get that foundation, if we don't get the foundation of the Old Testament, the the, the New Testament uh, loses some of its it loses some of its effectiveness to assure us and to give us wisdom and to help us to understand the entire narrative, uh, redemptive narrative. What do I mean by that? From the book of Genesis to the book of the Revelation, that is the entire picture of God's plan and work in His people. And we need to be able to see it from Genesis to Revelation to be able to grasp the full beauty and scope of what's going on. And we cheat ourselves when we stay away from Moses or the Psalms or the prophets We cheat ourselves. And so one of the first things that I want you to see tonight as we get ready to go into the syllabus is this. The Old Testament is Christ-centered just like the New Testament. The Word of God is Christ-centered. It's all about Him. So often we think about David and Goliath, and we think about me being the Goliath David and Goliath being the drug abuse that I'm struggling with or the, the addiction I'm struggling with, and that's my Goliath and i got to defeat that giant. It's not about you. It's about Christ. The reality is if me or you are in the story of David and Goliath, we're some of the Israeli soldiers wetting ourselves on the sidelines watching this big giant scream at David. You see? It's about Jesus, and Jesus is in the loins of David. He is his great-great-great-great-great-grandson, just as was promised. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, and David's great-great-great-great-granddaddy was Judah. And we go back to Jacob and realize that Jacob had a boy named Judah. And Jacob was the son of Abraham, Isaac, and Isaac was the son of Abraham. And we realize that, hey, this whole story has been given to us so that we can grasp the reality of who Christ is. Who our Savior is. And so He opens their eyes. And I want you to look. So He goes to have dinner with them at their house. And when He breaks the bread, it said that their eyes were opened. But look, look at their explanation. <coughs> were not our hearts burning within us when He was speaking to us on the road while He was explaining the Scriptures to us? So often in the, in, the, in the modern churches that we're in, we hear people come out of the service and talk about how the music was. Oh, it really moved me today. Or oh, boy, the Spirit was really alive in the building today. Could, couldn't you just feel Him there? But how often do we walk out of church and go, when that pastor opened that Bible and began to preach the Word of God, it melted my heart. You see, it's the Scriptures that truly break the heart that truly conform us to the image of Christ. It's God's Word that does that. And so what did these disciples say? My heart burned within me when He explained the Scriptures to me. When He opened my eyes to the reality that the promises of God are real and eternal and they're for me. And so He disappeared from them. Then He appears to His disciples. And I want you to look in verse 44 as he's, He's speaking with His disciples. He said, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. Look what he's saying. He said, don't you remember that I told you that all of the things written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Okay? So... Let's go to our syllabus. You see, I've got uh, those couple of verses there. I want you to use those to meditate on and think about what is Jesus's, what does Jesus' Sunday school look like? If you were to go to Sunday school and Jesus was a teacher, what would Jesus do? He would open up the Old Testament and He would explain to you all of the things concerning Him in the Scriptures. That's exactly what He did for the two on the road to Emmaus. That's exactly what He did for the, the His disciples. And I want you to remember something uh, before I explain the syllabus to you. When Peter and James and John and the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and sent out on the Great Commission to go out and preach the gospel to all creatures, remember that? Well, they didn't run around telling everybody, Well, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son to whoever believes on Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Now, in a sense, they could say that because it's true. But it was going to be another 60 years or 30 years or so before John penned those words. So when Paul and Peter and James and John and all these disciples went out and turned the world upside down, that's what it says in Acts, they flipped the world on its head. They were preaching from Genesis to Malachi. You ever thought about that? How good would you be at opening up the Old Testament and showing people that Jesus is there? So I, want, I present this to you as a challenge. Because there has been nothing, I can tell you there has been nothing in my walk with Christ that has opened my eyes and made my heart burn in realizing that it's all one story. And being able to grow and be conformed to the image of Christ just as much through the book of Jonah as through the book of uh, 2 Corinthians or Philippians or Ephesians. It's all about Him. And so I hope that when you get a teacher coming here and they start preaching out of the Psalms, uh, maybe somebody comes in and gives you an exposition on the Book of Psalms. I want you to realize it's about Jesus, and listen for it. It's kind of like that silly little, uh, that silly little book that the kids have nowadays. Where's Waldo? You know, and you open it up and you look around, you look around until you find him hid out in that picture. And I do that now with every passage I read in the Old Testament. Where's my Savior in this? And He's there. It's His words. Alright, so, why is it important for us to see Jesus in the Old Testament? Why is that important? Number one, Jesus taught His disciples that way. How did Jesus teach His disciples? He opened up Psalms 22 and said, My God, my God, why has Thou forsaken me? When did He open up Psalm 22 and say that? When He was hanging on the cross. It was so much a part of Him. It's Him. It's His words. It's who He is. And He was literally living out that psalm 700 years after it was penned. He stood in front of a bunch of men that were about to nail Him to a cross and said, I am the Good Shepherd and I lay my life down for my sheep. My sheep know my voice and they come to me when I call. And you don't know me because you're not my sheep. And every one of those men that he was speaking to, every one of them could have said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Every one of them knew that psalm by heart. David wrote that psalm when he was a kid, when a young man, he wrote that psalm about how Yahweh, Jehovah, is his shepherd that takes care of him and provides everything that he needs. And yet he was writing about his great 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 grandfather, who was standing in front of a bunch of men that were about to nail him on a cross, and said, "Hey, that was about me. I'm the good shepherd. That's what it's about. You see? And now you and I, uh, we have we have the, the the privilege and the joy, and the obligation and the responsibility now to look back on that and see it." They couldn't. The prophets prophets were writing about things that they didn't even understand. But through the the gift of the Holy Spirit and through Jesus' desire for His sheep to know His voice, we are able to open that up now and see the beauty and the wonder of who Jesus is. So the first thing we need to realize is that's the way that Jesus taught and why He taught that way. So, next... Why is it important for us to see Jesus in the Old Testament? Number two, the entirety of Scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament, is theocentric. What does that mean? God centered. God centered. That's exactly what does ego centered mean? Ah, right. And that's generally how we live our lives as fallen, uh, as corrupt human sons of Adam. We usually live egocentrically. And one of the reasons we have a hard time understanding the scripture is because we try to read ourselves into it instead of pulling Christ out of it. Right? We 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 get egocentric even when we're reading the scriptures. And so by focusing on the fact that all of the scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament, is about Him. Now when I pick it up and read it, it's not about me, it's about Him. Now I'm looking at it the way He wants me to see it. So the entirety of Scripture is theocentric. And it is our means of knowing God. You are never, ever, ever going to know God through your dreams and through your visions and through your premonitions and through your uh, uh, meditations. That's not the way you know God. The way that you know God is through His Word. Word. The Holy Spirit never works apart from the Word of God. And the Word of God never works apart from the Holy Spirit. See how that works? Mm-hmm. If you have the Word and you don't have the Holy Spirit, you have Phariseeism or, or dead orthopraxy. If you have the Spirit and no Word, you have all that wackadoo nonsense you see on the TV. All right, There's no truth in it. It's all emotion. It's all hype. It's all feelings. The word always works through uh, the Spirit. Always works through the word, and the word always works with the Spirit, and they they're always together. That's how it, that's how it works. So, the entire Old Testament is theocentric, and it is our means of knowing God. If you want to know God, then you know His word. That's how you'll know Him. And what you're going to find is the people that are truly walking the closest with the Lord are the ones that are in His Word. Amen. Right? I can promise you this. I can promise you that you can tell even in at, 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 your young walk with Christ. Some of you in here have not been walking with Christ. Long, some of you have been walking with him a while. But the reality is I guarantee you that the Spirit of God will work in you and allow you to know when somebody's coming up here preaching the Word of God to you and when somebody's blowing smoke. Amen. And how do you know they're blowing smoke? They stay away from the Word. If they're in the Word, then listen. You see? And you could just know. You just know if somebody knows the Word. That's right. I wish I could remember that guy. I love the old guy. What was his name... Um, Frank is it Frank the older black guy that used to come here and preach he, he, Frank King Frank King I love that man yeah me too man he come in and, and, uh, and what's Stacy's friend's name um, he still comes with a beard goes to David uh, um, it. no it's um, he's an ex-marine Oh, Jim Jim When I come here, listen, Jim Jim preaches the Word. He opens up the Word and he preaches the Word of God. And you can tell when people are focused on the Word and when they're focused on something else. But how does Jesus teach? Through the Scriptures. And so how should we teach? Through the Scriptures. Alright, the third thing we need to see, Jesus is God and has revealed Himself to us through declaration and the fulfilling of His promises. His Word. Let's look at that passage there that we got quoted uh, in John uh, chapter one verses 14 to 18. That's Mark, Luke, John. John chapter one verses 14 to 18. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. All right. the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory of the only begotten from the Father. Um, John testified about him uh, and cried out, saying, "This is he who I said he who comes before me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace." For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Alright, so look in verse 14 again. We'll stay right there on that one verse and think about what he said. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What is it when someone gives you their Word? What are they giving you? The promise. The very promise of God became flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. He walked among us. Alright. I, when I read this verse I immediately think of Frank F. Wade it's a hymn that we sing every Christmas O come all ye faithful joyful and triumphant come and adore him right what does it say this is what it says word of the father now in flesh appearing Oh come let us adore him Oh come let us adore him Oh come let us adore him Christ the Lord y'all remember that hymn we sing word of the father now in flesh appearing. The promise of God became a man to save us. Oh, come, let us adore Him. So He's the very promise of the Father. He is the promise. He is the Word. He is the truth. He is the Eternal One. And He became flesh and dwelt among us. And then watch what it says, and we saw His glory. Do you remember when He prayed the high Priestly prayer in John 17? He said this, Return to me the glory that I have with you in heaven. And I'm paraphrasing there. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, you will read where Yahweh said this, I am God and I will share my glory with no one. And yet right here it tells us that He clothed Himself in flesh and expressed the glory of God. We saw His glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, Jesus is God and He revealed Himself to us through the declaration and the fulfilling of those promises. And so, to finish up the class tonight, I want us to look at five ways that we see Jesus in the Old Testament. So, here's our, this is going to be like our little key, our little index. When you're reading a map, you go down to the bottom and you find a little thing that says 1 inch equals 200 miles or whatever. The little key, the, the way to figure out the map. You see, this way is north, this way. So, this is going to be our key. And so, you make them think of others, but these are five of the main ways... That we are able to see Jesus in the Old Testament. Five ways. Number one is through genealogies. What is a genealogy? Family tree, Family tree. right, a family tree. So we see Jesus through his family tree. Let's look really quickly. We're in uh, John. Turn back to Luke. Look at Luke and uh, Luke chapter three, verses. 28 to 38. Luke chapter 3 verses 28 to 38. This is one of them things that you always skip when you're doing your daily Bible readings, right? He began His ministry. Jesus began His ministry in verse 23. Jesus Himself was about 30 years old. The son of Joseph, the son of Eli, the son of Mattat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchizedek, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, and the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nam, the son of All Alright, I'm not going to read them all. I'm going to let you do that. All right. But I want you to look at the very begin uh, at verse 37. He was the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Cainan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So what is that telling us? It's telling us that Jesus is the direct descendant of Adam. So where did Jesus's family tree start? Well, his, as, an, as, a, as a man, his family tree started where with Adam, right? So anytime y'all talk to anybody who believes in evolution and all that and they tell you that Adam wasn't a real person, well, then let's just go ahead and cut Jesus' family tree right off at the root. See, he was a real person. And when you get to Abraham and and God, Yahweh, Jehovah, comes to Abraham and said, through, you, through your seed, all of the nations will be blessed. Right? Well, what is his seed? Okay, well, that's... we're all born of a man's seed. We don't have to have birds and bees class in here to understand that. And Jesus is the seed of Abraham. That means that Jesus is the seed of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah, and we go on and on. And so as you're reading the Old Testament, and you get to those born stories, and you read all those people, and you don't know their names, well, their names are significant. Because they are showing how the branches of the tree come. You see? Uh, Jesse... Right, you know, remember the story of uh, what was Ruth and Obed? Is that? Am I saying that right? Right, Ruth and and uh, and remember, and they had a uh, son, and what was it? And what was his his son's name? Right. Jesse, right? So, r- directly out of um, Boaz and Ruth uh, comes a direct Jesse, the, who is the father of David, who is the father, right? And we go right on down the line. And so, one of the first ways that we see Jesus in the Old Testament is through His genealogy. So all of those old people that you read about and those names you can't pronounce in the Old Testament, they all matter. One day, you're going to run into them in heaven, right? Right? And what's going to happen when you run into Rudus son of Peleg and you don't know who he is? Right? What's going to happen? He'll be like, I'm Jesus' great, 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 14 great great granddaddy, Right? We, we talked about that before you're going to get up there one day and you're going to meet um, Obadiah and he's going to say what do you think of my book he would say oh I skipped that one, only one I didn't see that one alright so all of those names are important so genealogies that's, that's one of the ways number two we see Jesus and prophecies what is a prophecy a prophecy is speaking forth of that which is to happen Now, um, also now remember prophets are not just somebody who necessarily tells the truth but a prophet is someone who speaks for God ok so not everything that a prophet says has something to do with the future but everything that a prophet has to say has to do with God. But there are many prophecies, and you'll see a couple that I have cited there. Genesis 3:15, y'all remember that? Yes. <clears throat> That's uh, when what what happened? God was cursing the. Yeah, the, Jesus put a curse on Adam and Eve and the devil, and he said what? Uh, he said the woman is going to have a the, through the woman's seed oh, no. the serpent's head will be crushed. So all the way back at the very beginning when God put the curse down on Adam and Eve, He was saying one day that woman's going to have a baby that's going to get you, snake. One day that woman's going to have a baby and He's going to crush her head. And so what is that a prophecy of? It's a prophecy of the fact that Jesus was going to be born of a woman's seed and not a man's seed. Alright? A virgin birth. All the way back at 3.15, we're already talking about the virgin birth. Now you and I can look back and I want see that, but who would have thought that back, you know, when Moses wrote it, he talking about a woman's seed. Women don't have seeds. So we uh, Isaiah uh, 53, the suffering servant. Remember that. And uh, and one other one that I had quoted there was what um, Psalm 22. The uh, they pierced his side. Right? They gambled for his clothes. If you go back and read Psalm 22, it says that somebody gets their clothes gambled for. And remember what happened at the cross? What did the Roman soldier do? They were, they were rolling dice to see who could get when Jesus' robe. So, 700 or so years before Jesus ever hung on the cross, His great-grandson wrote that one day they're going to gamble for His clothes. It's a prophecy that it's going to happen. And so, it all had to happen, didn't it? Because it was all prophesied. So, first way, genealogy, Second way, prophecy. Um, number three, we see Him... Through types and shadows, <clears throat> um, foreshadowing hints of something that's coming. Um, I wrote down here, think of a blueprint in a building. All right? I'm not an architect, and I am not an engineer, and I, one of the reasons I do not have a college degree is because I cannot pass algebra. I'm not a mathematician at all. I do not understand it. Once you start putting letters into the math, then you've <laughs> lost me. Okay? But the reality is is some people can look at a blueprint and in their mind they can already see what a building is going to look like. You see? And so when you think of the Old Testament types and shadows, I want you to think of blueprints and a finished building. Now remember, what is the, what was the tabernacle? The, built, um, uh, the building that God... It was a little traveling tent and, and and equipment that the Israelites used to do what? Worship God, and it was where the very presence of God dwelt with them. All right, so they went around this little tent, and the, and the fire, the pillar of uh, fire by night, and the cloud by the day covered them and protected them. Right, and the presence of God went with them everywhere they went. And so everywhere they went, they set up that tent. They had an altar and lights and uh, bread and and the uh, Ark of the Covenant and all of these things and all of those are shadows or types of who Christ is. So remember, what was the point of the Tabernacle? It was the place where the people could come and what? Talk to Meet with God. And now back to that John one fourteen passage we went, went to a minute ago where it said the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. What did they make the tent out of? Um, an skin. Flesh, cow skin. You remember? Right. Well, yeah, porpoise skin. Now, I, I, I want some porpoise skin sandals because somebody had some in the Bible. I, I think those sound really comfortable. I don't know what porpoise skin is. I didn't even know they had porpoises anywhere around. But you're right. But they they used animal skins. They made a tent out of skins. All right. And so they had this fleshly building in which the spirit of God dwelt. And it was the place that they would go and meet with Him. That's the Old Testament, right? Well, in John 14, it said, "...the Word became flesh and skyanoed with us." Or dwelt with us. He, he tented with us. So it uses the very same Word as the tabernacle for Jesus. That He is the place that we now go to to meet with God. Remember what He told the woman at the well? They go to, um, we go to Jerusalem to worship, and you worship here in Samaria. But the time is coming, and now is, when those that worship Him will worship Him in spirit and truth, because the very tabernacle of God was living and breathing and pumping blood through His heart and speaking with that lady at that very moment. It's really cool to think about in there. So the Old Testament tent that Moses and all the Israelites carried around through the desert was a shadow. Of the real deal, it was a blueprint of who the real one was going to be. See how that works? So we see him um, prophets. Moses was a prophet, but what did Moses say? There's one greater than I is going to be coming one day, the greater prophet. Priest, right? Aaron was the high priest. Jesus is the greater high priest. Um, Aaron had to go every year to the end of the tabernacle and put blood on the altar but in the book of Hebrews it tells us that Jesus went in once with his own blood and made them and redeemed us you see so priests, kings, altars sacrifices, tabernacles all of those things that you read about in the Old Testament are types and shadows of the one who is coming now uh, after types and shadows, we see Jesus through themes, repetitive echoes of the coming one, supernatural births. What do I mean by that? A supernatural birth. How was Jesus born? From a virgin. From, from a virgin. So he had no. Mary had no help from a man. man. All right. Can anybody else think of another birth in the Old Testament where no help from a man was involved? No. Abraham and Sarah. What happened there? Uh, they tried and, and... She was 99 years old, and it said the time, the the custom of the women was not upon her anymore. She was dried up. She had a barren womb. She was unable to have babies anymore. And what happened? Through God's power, she had a baby. Um, what about Samuel? <clears throat> His mama couldn't have babies. She went to the tent uh, to the Went to the priest and started praying. He thought she was drunk. He tried to run her out. And her, she had a baby. So there's all kind of pictures in the Old Testament. Uh, what was it? Isaac's wife? She couldn't have babies because she. And then what happened? Twins in her womb. Two nations battling inside of her. So think about that. There's, there's all these barren wombs. Older brothers persecuting younger brothers. All right. Who was an older brother that persecuted his younger brother? Isaac and, Jacob and Isaac and Esau good. Isaac and, I mean, Isaac, and no, no Isaac. Isaac and Ishmael. You, Isaac. Right. we slow down. We'll get it. You're there. <laughs> I, I know what you meant. So yeah. <laughs> but, Isaac and Ishmael and Esau and Jacob. Cain and Abel good. Very, very good. Anybody else? Jacob, what? Jacob. Yeah. What does that point to? It points to Adam and Christ. Yeah. Did I bad? Yeah. Adam and Christ is what it points to. Now, I'm looking at the clock. I know you're already getting your <laughs> treats. But I was told on the phone by Brian that I always felt guilty. I, about quarter to nine, I was always trying to really get finished really fast. And I always felt guilty. But Brian said, you keep them until nine if you want to. Now, I'm not going to keep you till nine, but... I got a couple more things I want to say. I know that them donuts are in there, and I know they're really good. And I know that, but but Brian also told me that some people like to get out here so they can go out and smoke a cigarette too. So so all right. So anyhow, let me get these last two done, and then we'll be finished. So um, supernatural bursts, light, bread, water. All of these themes that we see in the Old Testament point us to. Jesus, right? In the beginning God said, let there be light. light. light right? And what did Jesus say in John? I am the light, light of the world. You see? So that light points us to Christ. So everything in the Old Testament points us to the things. Now, the last one we want to talk about tonight, so we've, we will see Him as we go through our studies, we will see Him in genealogies, we will see him in prophecies. We'll see him in types of shadows. We'll see him in themes. And we'll also see him in theophanies. Now, remember we talked about theocentric a minute. What did that uh, mean? God-centered. God-centered. So, what does uh, Theo represent then? What is that the uh, prefix? God. Now, what about phanies? What, what do you think that means? Uh, musical praise? Uh No. Yeah. Phantom? Phantom, right. not pre-incarnate. It's a, an appearance. Phaneru. It means an appearance, uh, phan- right? Theophany. <laughs> phan- <laughs> phan- it's an appearance of God. Okay. Simple enough, mm-hmm. right? And some of the ways that we see Him, um, Genesis 18:1. Let's look at these really quick, and then we will be done. Genesis 18:1. Theophanies. Now, again, we'll get more into detail into these when we get to these passages as we go through here. But I just want to give you kind of a quick overview. So, in Genesis chapter 18, verse one, it says, "Now the Lord, who is the Lord, it's all capital letters right there." Yahweh, Jehovah, the promise, keeping him coming and keep him God and creator, right? The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. When he lifted up his eyes, he looked and behold, and three men were standing opposite to him. And he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed down. And he said, what? My Lord, if I found favor with you. So who is it that's appearing to Abraham? The Lord, all right? And then in Isaiah 6, 1, Isaiah 6, 1. Stay with me, guys. You'll stay focused. We're about done, I promise. Uh, we can't be there until no 9 anyway. Okay. Alright. Fair enough. So Isaiah 6. And verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw who? The Lord... Sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple. So, who is Isaiah getting a vision of? God in his robe and his throne. All right, now watch this is really cool. Turn with me really quick to John chapter 12 and verse 41. This is one you can always show to Jehovah's Witnesses. They love this one. John chapter 12 and verse 41. All right. Well, let's start at verse 39 to get some context. For this reason they could not believe, for Isaiah has said again, He has blinded their eyes and He has hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their hearts and be converted, and I would heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw His glory and He spoke of Him. All right. All right. Look at verse 36. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. Jesus is the light of the world, right? These things, who spoke? Jesus spoke and went away and hid himself from them. Right? So who is it that's been doing the speaking? Jesus. And John says, these things Isaiah said because he saw his glory. Whose glory? Jesus' glory. right? So it's another appearance of him. Um, We'll skip the Daniel passage. Um, Genesis 16, verses 6 through 13. Let's go there. And that's our last one. Genesis 16, verses 6 through 13. But Abraham said to Sarah, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do with her as you would do what is good in your sight so Sarah treated her harshly and she fled from her presence. All right, y'all remember this story? Uh, Hagar, now the angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, "Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going?" And she said, "I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarah." Now, who's speaking to her? The angel of the Lord. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. Do y'all see anything that's kind of weird about that? The angel said, I will give you more descendants. We'll Alright? So who is this angel of the Lord? It's the pre-incarnate... Uh, Theophany of Jesus. Theophany of Jesus. Okay. So, sum up. Why do we look for Jesus in the Old Testament? Why do we study the Old Testament looking for Jesus? Because Jesus himself uses that method to teach. And he tells us that all of Moses and the law and the prophets are written about. Him. It's all about Him. That's why we do it. It's important that we remember that. It's important that we remember that the Scriptures are theocentric, which means they're God-centered. They're about Him. It's important for us to remember that God has revealed Himself to us through those promises, and that Jesus is the very revelation of those promises. How do we see Him? Genealogies. What is a genealogy? Family tree. So from now on, when I read about Sarah and, and Abraham and I realize that they had Isaac, then that helps me to understand that that's Jesus' great, 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 great That's his family tree. We see him through prophecies. right? What does that mean? There's, te- there's scriptures in the Old Testament that pro- uh, give us a prophetic picture of something that's going to happen in the future. all right? So I want you all to start seeing those. I- I'm praying that the Lord will open your eyes to help you to appreciate them and see them more as you read the Old Testament. Types and shadows, remember, blueprints and the finished product. Themes. We see them in repetitive themes. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. Whoever feeds on me will never be hungry. I am the good shepherd. The shepherd's theme is all through the Old Testament. What about the like 40 days, 40 years, and some of that in the Old Testament? Okay, so the 40, uh, 40 years in the wilderness was a time of what? Testing for the Israelites to see whether they were going to trust God or not. And then, as soon as Jesus was filled with the Spirit, what did the Spirit do? He drove him out of the desert, what, for 40 days? A time of testing. All right? Okay, good. Yep. I would be very careful with a lot of numerology, like, you can get into a lot of trouble with numerology. Like, it, like that, everything represent every number represents like a something, you know. Seven now, like seven is a the theme of perfection, or uh, six is the number of man. Like there are things that are numbers in the Bible that we can use, but pe- there are people that get off into speculating and just throw numbers out there, like oh it's two thousand and twenty-two, and there was two, you know, <laughs> you know, like you can you can get in a lot of trouble with that. Uh, last of all, theophanies or pre-incarnate. Uh, appearances of Christ in the Old Testament so I hope that this will challenge you when I come back next Friday uh, uh, Friday week what we'll talk about we're going to go to in the beginning God said let there be light right God said God said God said God said what does God speak with how does he speak with what Words. words right and who is Jesus he is the word of God and God said let there be light and so right there that ought to just start ringing out hey Jesus is here you see and so we'll see that next time when we come together so thank you all for your time let's close with a quick prayer Um, Father thank you for the beauty and the richness of your word and the beauty and the reality and the eternal hope that we have because of your son Jesus and who he is I pray that You will help every man and woman here who has heard this message tonight. I pray that You will encourage them to to seek You and to seek Your face in all of Your Word uh, from Genesis to Revelation. Help us to learn to appreciate it more. Open our eyes to these realities so that we might not only be conformed to Your image, but grow in our hope and wisdom and knowledge of who You are. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.